everyone. It's been a little bit, uh, we've taken a little bit of a break from our Talk Concord podcast, but we're back. And we're here for, I guess, kind of a special edition slash update uh, amongst all <laughs> of the things that are happening right now. <laughs> all things Concord. <laughs> all things Concord. Uh, taking a little bit of a, a time out, I guess, because of some of the things happening with the coronavirus. So sure. as we sit here, I just want everyone to know that we're, I'm here with Jeff Stewart, who's our project first director from the Concord Fire Department. And so we are wearing you. masks. We are Thanks wearing for masks. having us. And we're sitting as far apart as possible. So That's I just right. want everyone to know listening that uh, we're taking precautions and doing the best we can. Yes, we are being compliant here. with the, regu- the recommendations and regulations. <laughs> yes. So Jeff, you were with us, I think it was uh, late last year. Yes. I think fall of 2019. I believe so. When yeah. you had been here for a little while and you kind of gave us an update on Project First at that time. Yeah, it was an int- int- introduction, really. We had just, mm-hmm. the Concord Fire Department secured the funding and initiated the process and hired me April uh, 2019, the end of April's, April 29th. It was mm-hmm. a Monday. That was my start date. So and it's been, you've been with us about a year. Yeah, one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, so we did a, it's just to kind of back up and remind folks that might not be aware, Project First is a federally funded grant Mm -hmm. through the state of New Hampshire. So the grant came from SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. The state of New Hampshire applied as a state. Concord Fire Department was originally going to apply as an entity, but the state jumped in. So the Department of Safety secured $3.1 million mm-hmm. and created Project FIRST, and that stands for First Responders Initiating Recovery Support and Treatment. It's a substance use disorder or opioid use disorder grant. Mm-hmm. Three primary goals, and then Concord has a fourth. So the primary goal is first, education about substance use disorder, opioid use disorder, to both first responders as well as the public. So two components there. Reduction of uh, opioid overdose death with the distribution of naloxone kits. Mm -hmm. And then the third goal is to facilitate pathways into recovery or into treatment for people that we interact with. And it's a very broad goal written at the federal and state level. What Concord Fire did when we came, when I came on board and collaboratively with the department is we took it a step further. So we actually enroll patients into our program. And then when I say enrollment, so I actually meet with them, mm-hmm. get some information, and I start to work with them. And what we do is we identify their barriers. Why are they not getting into treatment? We work on those, we identify those barriers, we work on reducing those barriers, and then when the patient's ready to get into treatment, we facilitate them moving into a treatment modality for their opioid use or substance use disorder. So that's the three primary goals. Mm-hmm. Concord took it an extra step. And then the fourth goal that Concord Fire is working on is sustainability. Mm-hmm. What do we do when the grant's no longer available? And I've been working on that project, or that piece of the project, for a little while now, and because of COVID-19, we're in a little bit of a stalling pattern Mm -hmm. because the next steps are to get some meetings with other stakeholders within the state. Mm -hmm. And as everyone's well aware, those types of meetings are (laughs) not as uh, available as Mm -hmm. they have historically been. Mm -hmm. And that's not anyone's fault. That's just we're trying to figure out how to deal with this uh, COVID-19 issue. Yes. So that's the grant in a nutshell. Uh-huh. 
a um, couple of things that have gone on. Obviously, we came on board. We've been actively working the grant, really involving patients since June of 2019. So I came on the end of April. Uh, we did a lot of training within the department and developing what our forms are going to be and what the process is going to be and developing some of that network so that if a patient's ready to go into treatment, how do I get them there? Mm -hmm. If we identify a different type of issue, how do we resolve that or where can they go for resources to resolve that issue? Uh, so we did a lot of that in those first two months. And then June, we went, quote, live mm -hmm. with the program. And uh, I'm tracking all kinds of data because it's a federal grant. So if anyone's familiar with grants, especially from the feds initially, mm -hmm. a lot of data. You know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Measure it. Fiscal, fiscal responsibility. And I'm, I'm all for that. So we do a lot of tracking of uh, hours engaged and types of overdoses going on within our community, broken down by substances, broken down by age, um, and then, of course, how many engagements, <clears throat> how much naloxone have we distributed, how, many how much education have we provided, all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So for 2019, just to give you a little background here, in terms of data, the all from the beginning of the grant through... March, the end of March 2020, so that time frame. It's not quite a year. Mm -hmm. um, we had, we provided 44 classes. Mm -hmm. We had 549 students, or participants, I should say, because they were adults as well as uh, adolescents. We had distributed 294, 200, uh, 300 naloxone kits. We had four complete successes, meaning we engaged reduced their overdoses, worked with them and got them into treatment, and they are in recovery. Four complete successes. Um, good news. Yeah, very good news. I have two more right now that are involved in treatment. So they have we engaged them through the overdose process, uh, worked with some of their barriers, and they are currently in treatment programs. So they're 80% success. I'm not going to count them as a full success yet because they haven't completed their treatment. Mm -hmm. um, but we've stayed in contact with the others. Um, they check in or I call them or what have you. So that's uh, it's been very successful in that regard. And then I always get asked whenever I go and speak, you know, what kind of substances or, or what are these, what are, what are we seeing here? So this is just Concord specific. 47% um, of the overdoses that the that the fire department slash ambulance service. So for those that aren't aware, Concord Fire Department provides the ambulance service within the city. Mm -hmm. So it's Concord Fire Paramedics. Mm -hmm. So they're firefighters and paramedics combination. So out of all the overdoses that we went to in 2019, 47% were opioids, 32% okay. were alcohol, 3% mm -hmm. uh, were marijuana, and yes, that's actual overdose on marijuana. Mm -hmm. And that can happen, which a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah. Um, 7% are stimulants. And when I say stimulants, that can be a combination or, or that includes cocaine, mm -hmm. methamphetamines, uh, crack, those types of things. I have 8% are other. And when I say other, those are combination or polysubstance. So it might mm -hmm. be, it could be they overdosed on their medication. Intentional or otherwise, doesn't matter. It was an overdose, but it was a medication overdose. Mm -hmm. That falls under the other category. 
It would also fall in the other category if it was a true combination. Mm -hmm. So um, they're antidepressants and alcohol. Mm -hmm. They're anti-anxiety medication and alcohol and something else. I would throw that into the other category. Okay. So 8% of our overdoses were other. And only 3% of our overdoses were we not able to identify by the paramedics on scene. So they're okay. really good about figuring out what kind of um, substance the individual's on. That's hats off to them. They do a heck of a job there. Mm -hmm. And in comparison from 2019 to the first quarter of 2020, we're right around the same percentages. 57% are opioids so far, 43% are alcohol okay. right now. So in terms of the types of overdoses, the types of substances, opioids are still number one, mm -hmm. alcohol is number two. And then it dwindles out from there. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of our numbers here uh, in the city. So that's kind of where we're at. Yes, that's yeah. where we're at in terms of data, in terms of the grant. Uh, COVID, COVID's had an impact. So, yeah. you know, one of, our, one of our directives or objectives from the grant is to provide education. Mm -hmm. And what we were doing was the hands-only CPR mm -hmm. combined with naloxone awareness, and we were doing that for the public yep. uh, one or, once or twice a month over at the fire station. Mm -hmm. Plus, I was going out to a lot of places. So various entities, be it a... A social club, a social network organization would have me come over and could you talk about it or, or show us or, or what have you. So we've been doing that type of outreach as well. And in that case, because of the COVID, we stopped. Um, that's put a little hamper. So I haven't, I think the last class I did was uh, the 16th of March. Yeah, that was kind of right before everything got shut down. Yeah, everything stopped. Yeah. So as soon as it's lifted, we will go ahead and start doing that again. Mm -hmm. And I will make sure it's on our Facebook page and I'll make sure it's on our website. And, okay. you know, we'll, we'll get that distribution out. and We'll start those classes. They seem to be, you know, I averaged five to six people per class. Mm -hmm. And we were doing them at night. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it could work with the work week. And those are completely free. 100% free. Yep. yep. And they, everyone who came learned how to do hands-only CPR. So you learn how to save a life mm -hmm. as well as you learn how to save a life utilizing naloxone. Mm -hmm. And they walked out with a naloxone kit. So they at least had it on them now that they know what to do. Um, and in the naloxone kits that we provided, and we've talked about this before, we've done a, there's some photos on our website and some videos floating around in social media world. That's right. Yes, you did a video here. At TV uh, that's right. That's right. Um, it has the naloxone. It has a pair of gloves and a face mask. Not the type of face mask you see everyone wearing today with COVID, right. but a face shield for actually doing mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. Yeah. So that's in those kits. Mm -hmm. And then a bright fluorescent green. And uh, we've distributed quite a few in this area. So I know they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it is good. It is good. You know, one of the other questions I get is why, why are we giving naloxone for free and why are we distributing it to somebody who chooses to be addicted? Mm -hmm. And I just, that's the way it's presented. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to address that real quick. And okay. yep. I, so a couple of things. Number one, people don't choose to be addicted. I'm, I'm not going to argue that at some point you made a choice to try a particular substance, be it alcohol, be it opioids, be it marijuana, whatever. At some point you chose. Mm -hmm. I agree, not arguing that. But you didn't choose to be 
or to have substance use disorder. And what that is, is addiction. You didn't choose to be addicted. You didn't, you, you were in control for a little while of that mm-hmm. substance, but part of the disease process that we deal with, that switches. Right. And you are, you as the individual are no longer in charge of that. That substance, whatever it is, takes over and runs your life mm-hmm. and it ruins your life. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe in, you know, some of my friends have said I'm too soft sometimes, but I, I do believe that people don't want to live that way. Mm-hmm. That's not what they set out for. Right, uh, it right. destroys individuals and it destroys families. Mm-hmm. And I know moms and dads didn't raise their children to be in the position that they're in. Yeah. And they don't yeah. want, and I, I still believe, and again, maybe I'm too soft, but I still believe human beings don't want to suffer and we right. don't want to see each other suffer. Right. Um, so there's that. So that's the addiction piece. Naloxone, I want to be clear about this because the question I get in addition to why are we giving it out, mm-hmm. why are we giving a treatment, we're not. Right, right. Naloxone only reverses the overdose. Mm-hmm. That's all it does. It does not treat the underlying condition of substance use disorder, right. addiction. It doesn't treat that. Mm-hmm. All it does is it prevents the death and it reverses the overdose. Mm-hmm. So when somebody says, well, Jeff, we give them Narcan or Naloxone. Naloxone is a generic name. Narcan is a brand name. We give them Naloxone, but we don't give a cancer patient chemotherapy. Like, mm-hmm. you're right. Naloxone does not treat substance use disorder. Right. Chemotherapy right. treats cancer. Mm-hmm. There's a difference there. Mm-hmm. All we're trying to do is to prevent the death. Mm-hmm. And again, if you don't prevent the death, then there is no hope. Right. And there's right. no chance for recovery. And there's no opportunity to get better. So if we can reverse the overdose, prevent that death, that's an opportunity to get somebody into treatment, which is where Project First steps in. Right. Uh, the interesting thing is we're really taking the opportunity or taking this to the patient. We're meeting the person where they're at. Mm-hmm. And I do outreach opportunities, and I'm still, even with COVID-19 going on, I still go outreach. I'm still available. I'm still seeing patients. We're coaching. I'm working with clients currently that are enrolled in our program, and I'm coaching them on a regular basis or facilitating them to get into treatment or as they're in treatment, working with them for when they get out of treatment Mm -hmm. uh, and that type of stuff. So we're still fully engaged and available. I personally want us to be busier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think some of that is the COVID-19. Some of that is misunderstanding and fear. Mm -hmm. Um, So... That's kind of where I'm, where I'm at at that point. So yeah, the definitely the uh, COVID nineteen kind of made you have to switch your gears a little bit. Yeah. So can you talk about um, maybe some of the other impacts? Maybe not not on Project First, uh, the stuff that you were doing personally, but kind of in a general sense, um, maybe the impact on mental health and substance sure. use that maybe this pandemic is having. So I think there's some things that people aren't or aren't, either aren't aware of or may not consider on a regular basis because it doesn't impact them daily. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we work with when we're working with somebody who's suffering from substance use disorder is their learned behavior of isolation and their learned behavior for avoidance and not engaging um, in some of those more negative uh, behaviors mm-hmm. or challenging behaviors. However... <laughs> With COVID, you're almost forced to isolate. Right. And for those that are in recovery, so that 
they have actually taken the steps and they've gotten some treatment and they're working their recovery, they have support groups. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we can't go to support group meetings. Mm -hmm. We are trying to do them virtually. Um, that's a learning curve for everybody, not right. only the individuals that want to go to the support groups, but the individuals that are providing the support groups have to really, there's a learning curve there. Mm -hmm. How do we do this with, you know, blank technology? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to endorse any product, but Zoom or WebEx or FaceTime or whatever. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. And there's some good questions. How do you do that? There's a learning curve there. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that in the recovery community. Mm -hmm. So that's posing some challenges because, again, it's, it's, it perpetuates the isolation, which we're trying to get them away from. We're trying right. to get them engaged and get them surrounded with people who want to be in recovery and like-minded and healthy and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And you're running into a wall against that. So that's a challenge. It's posing a challenge in healthcare in general. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone's seeing, I don't see my doctor anymore. I do it over the computer. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a substance use disorder, there's no difference. We're seeing our therapists over, you know, we're engaging them therapeutically with telemedicine and telehealth. Um, and again, learning curve for the therapists, learning curve for the patients. Technology, depending on where that person is in their recovery or in their addiction, mm -hmm. it could be a burden. It could be right. a barrier. Right. I, I have a cell phone, but it's limited minutes and it doesn't have video capability on the cell phone. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do you, I, well, I might send them to the library. Well, we can't. The library is right. closed. Right. Oh, I'd send them to a, to a resource center. Well, mm -hmm. they're closed mm -hmm. um, because of this. So there are definitely some barriers that people are seeing. One of the things I do uh, as part of the grant and part of my uh, duties with the fire department and, and the city here is I go out and I do some homeless outreach and inner work and participation. And there's, there's some challenges to that population because places that they could go to get out of the weather for a little while mm -hmm or to utilize uh, sanitation and hygiene facilities just aren't available anymore. Right, right. Um, and, it, and with the COVID, it reinforces that isolation and puts them out more mm -hmm. or back, you know, in the shadows more. Mm -hmm. um, makes it difficult to engage with them and makes, them makes it difficult for them to get basic needs from food and, and help or even into the system because if they're new, they're new into that environment and they've never been in it, Normally we'd have all kinds, not all kinds, but we have a fair amount of resources that are available, and, and, right. but that's changed and that's limited and that poses some challenges. So this COVID-19 has definitely had a major impact, not only in the physical health world, but in the mental health world in terms of engaging with your clients and or your patients. Mm -hmm. In the outreach component for out reaching out to the individuals and, and encouraging them to come into treatment, or to work their recovery, um, that's, that's posed some definite challenges. And I suppose, I know we're a little into the conversation, but just for somebody that may not be so aware of substance use disorder issues, when I say treatment and recovery and things like that, just in general, you have a person who's suffering from substance use disorder, mm -hmm. they get a diagnosis, and they can get a diagnosis through usually a MLADA, a mastered licensed alcohol and drug counselor or social worker or, or a mental health provider. Mm -hmm. uh, they get that diagnosis. They can go to inpatient treatment, which means they actually go to a facility for treatment. Mm -hmm. It's inpatient. There's what we call PHP, which is Partial Hospitalization Program, okay. which is four hours or more, three days a week. That's a treatment option. Mm -hmm. Then there's IOP, which is 
intensive outpatient program, which is three hours, minimum of three hours a week, or excuse me, three hours a day, three, hour, three days a week, mm-hmm. three hours a day, three days a week. And that's what we call an IOP. Then there's just your standard outpatient. You go see a therapist or a clinician once a week for 90 minutes or an hour or 45 minutes, 55 minutes, whatever the case might be. Um, those are treatment options. The other thing you hear is MAT, which is medication-assisted treatment, things like methadone, suboxone, subutex, Vivitrol, uh, buprenorphine is the generic name, uh, naltrexate, uh, naltrexone. Um, those are medications that somebody would take in addition to going to therapy. Um, then there's recovery. So recovery is a change in social practices and you're interacting with people in a support network. So they may not be clinicians. They're not clinicians. They're usually peer driven Mm -hmm. or peer focused. And you go to, and you've heard, um, people in the audience might've heard 12 step programs, smart recovery, the three principles. These are different types of modalities for continuing your, your recovery lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Because think about it, somebody who's truly substance use disorder, who's been addicted to a substance for a long period of time, if we get them off that substance and we get them in a more healthy state, we still have to deal with their entire social network and their entire existence of being. And you're reteaching them how to live. Mm -hmm. And it could be anything from job training and social socializing and knowing those triggers for them, like what makes them want to use, how do they avoid that, how do they deal with it when it comes up. Right, right. Um, all those social skills where they were in survival mode as they were suffering with substance use disorder and they would manipulate and lie and, and steal and cheat and those types of behaviors. Mm-hmm. Now they're trying to be participatory in society and contributory to society and there's lots of volunteering opportunities, but there's employment issues and there's behaviors in employment and workplace and all those types of things. These are things that are continuing to be having to be learned or relearned by the individual who's been suffering for X period of time. Right. Um, right. So Project First focuses on the education of both the public and the individual about substance use disorder. We try to reduce the naloxone overdose or the opioid overdose with naloxone distribution. Mm -hmm. We work and create networks for people to get into treatment and Concord Fire takes it one step further and actually enrolls in recovery coaches and guides people and identifies barriers and works with them to get into treatment and then the sustainability. So that's the Project First piece. But what do we do once they've completed that? You know, and how how do they re-engage and become taxpayers and and contributors to society as a whole? Mm -hmm. And it it is totally doable. We have a a recovery community in New Hampshire. We have a pretty good one Mm -hmm. um, throughout the state. And then in certain cities are really active recovery communities. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's totally doable. It's just a matter of working people through that process or working with them, meeting them where they're at in their substance use disorder spectrum Mm -hmm. and getting the help. So do you think, kind of based on that, because I think some of these are just challenges for people in sure. general, sure. and now we're kind of talking about how you're throwing a, a pandemic into mm-hmm. the mix. So do you think for people at different stages, um, this is going to kind of throw off their recovery, or yes. will we see delayed re- repercussions, do you think, you know, somewhere down the line because of this pandemic as well? 
It, I don't know. It, it it's has hard the, to say, maybe. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to predict it, so I'm not going to predict anything. Mm-hmm. But my, I believe, and I, I have a few clients that have fallen off the radar, so to speak, mm-hmm. or have uh, relapsed or reoccurred, have mm-hmm. reoccurrences or actual relapse of their substance use. Again, because of that isolation, so maybe they had a job, but they lost it. Mm-hmm. So now they're unemployed again. Right. Um, keeping them busy, focused on positive things, but that's harder now because we're isolating again and we're not engaging and we're not going and out. things feel very difficult. And boxed lot. in. Because a lot, I mean, I don't have an addiction problem, but I feel overwhelmed sometimes. So Absolutely. I can imagine that having that, you know, added stress to your life Absolutely. just makes it very difficult. Right. And when and, you're worried about finances yeah, and you're worried about, you know, not using again, mm-hmm. but then you don't have a, a really quick, e- oh, I can just go to a meeting because there's one every, you know, 12 noon at XYZ address. Well, you right. can't. Right. Now it's once a day via the computer. Mm-hmm. That's different for a lot of people, depending on where they're at. Yeah. Uh, they may not have that technology. Right. They've been doing really well. Now they lost their job. Um, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all that type of stuff. And then you get, fi- they're financially insecure to begin with. Uh, we get them in recovery. We get them working. They're getting better. They're not financially secure in any way, shape, or form. They live on the edge. They live, you know, you hear people talk about living paycheck to paycheck. In some cases, if they're, let's say, restaurant employees, they're living tip night to tip night. Yeah. That's not there anymore. That's right. huge. Right. That's, yeah, that's a big uh, chunk of our state, really. Yeah. We're a tourist is, industry. Is restaurants. Yeah. yeah tourist industry here. Um, so these are, these are challenges that everyone's facing with COVID. And then they have the added a burden. And I want to, we mentioned homelessness. We mentioned substance use disorder. I want to mention the third, which is mental health services in general. Right. So right. it's kind of this little trifecta, substance use disorder, mental health issues, and homelessness. They, they almost feed off each other in a perpetual cycle. Right. And, right. and when you're in an, you know, our economy has taken such a major impact um, and, you know, food banks are having some challenges and uh, resources to help the homeless or help those that are struggling, not, maybe not homeless, but food hunger mm-hmm. um, or food insecurity. Mm-hmm. All those things are, are stressed because don't forget, the people that are working there are also dealing with the COVID. Right. And right. they might have to socially isolate or they get sick. So now they have to go to quarantine for 14 days. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're older and this is their retirement, you know, way to give back to their community or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Well, they're at a higher risk, so they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Now you have a manpower uh, staffing problem. Right. I don't right. want people to get mad at me for calling it manpower. So we have a staffing problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> get in trouble. Um, you know, so, so all of this stuff, and, and it's tough. It's really tough. And I think yeah. we're going we're gonna to see some changes. We're going to see some spikes not right now, but we will in line. a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those stimulus checks start getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, things might open up a little bit, mm-hmm. but we'll see some longer range impact, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope not. I don't want it, but right. I'm it's being kind of realistic about it. Yeah. The situation we're in, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah you have I people think... living on the edge and yeah. it doesn't take much to push them off one way or the other. And, we're focusing today on Project First and substance use disorder and a little homelessness and a little mental health issues. 
but it could be anybody. Mm-hmm. It, today's conversation is about substance use disorder, but it could be anybody living on the edge. And this is just enough to push them off. And my other question for them is, how do you get away from it? Because we live in a 24-hour news cycle. Right. So even if you go on your social media platform, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you're still getting inundated with that information. And if yeah. you have a cell phone and you're looking on your cell phone, those, those alerts or those warnings keep pushing through. Mm-hmm. If you turn on the TV somewhere, it's, yeah. it's nonstop. It is nonstop, yeah. How do you get away from it? That's a good question for you. How do you get away from it? Um, <laughs> so I have my um, own. But <laughs> right. Um, I think, yeah, do you have some words of advice maybe for someone or maybe if it's not someone listening personally, but if they have a friend or a family member that they can't go to that person's house right now and right. see them, you know, are there some ways that people can still maybe try to feel connected or try to take a break from some of the things that are overwhelming. Right. So fortunately, I think you still can go for a walk. (laughs) It sounds silly, but exercise and getting out of the house. And I would turn the phone off for at least that 15 minutes around your block or 20 minutes around your block or an hour if you can do it. Or if you get to, you know, if you live in an area near a park where you can walk around the park, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that has a huge, just to unplug for a little bit. I think is valuable. Um, I'm seeing it because, so a little about me because of my position, not just with Concord Fire, but what I do outside of Concord Fire, a lot of my clients are public safety clients and they're stressed to the max. Um, They're first responders, public safety. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with this every day. They're having a hard time getting away from it. So we talk and I run a support group for mm-hmm. <laughs> my guys and it's hard it's hard to do it because we had face to face and then all of a sudden we couldn't so right, right. we're we're struggling too to get through this and I think people forget that perspective on occasion mm-hmm. um, so one I'm a big advocate of at least please unplug for a little bit a day if you can and when I say unplug I mean unplug turn off the phone turn off the TV even if you sit outside if you're if you're not able to walk per se Maybe you can just go sit outside. Mm-hmm. We've gotten some nice weather finally, knock on wood. Right. <laughs> Phew. Yes. Um, that, the sun. Right, that helps. Um, but I, I think this is a, contrib- a contribution that people, that we can't get away from. We are such a media-driven, mm-hmm. instantaneous society, 24-hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. It's hard. So an intentional process to get away. And, you know, all the other, I'd be, I'd get yelled at by one of my docs if I didn't say all the eat right, try to get some exercise, try to sleep right, Mm -hmm. that type of stuff. Read a book, not about contagions. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't read about, you know, uh, I I forget some of the movies and some of the, yeah, don't, don't don't read about that stuff. Don't watch, right. Yeah. Watch something completely different, you know, whatever. Um, we just had the fourth, May 4th, right? So yeah. go watch the Star Wars. Well, today, <laughs> all nine of them. as we're sitting here, Cinco de Mayo. So there you go. maybe have a taco. Have a taco. You know. It's not a tangere. Uh, not a tequila taco. <laughs> right. Um, maybe just a regular taco. Right, right. So I think there's some opportunities there, and you have to be a little creative. Mm-hmm. There are, just because we are talking substance use disorder, there are support groups online. They okay. are coming. There are lots of them there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say we are, you know, a month ago, wasn't even on people's radar. Now they're popping up everywhere. So that is a positive on our technology. Mm -hmm. 
it's not the same as sitting down in front of somebody or in a circle and having a conversation or going for a walk with somebody, but it's better than nothing. You're not alone at all with this in any way, shape or form. There are, you know, where you are, I hate to be cliche about it, but we are in this together and we are all in the human condition and we're getting through it. Mm -hmm. So my physical activity, getting outside, unplugging, there are support groups available, that's there. If somebody in the Concord area is dealing with substance use disorder, call me. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give, I'm going to give my phone number okay. um, and our email. So 603-225-8666. Once again, 603-225-8666. That is my direct office line. My voicemail goes right to my email. And they can also get me with J, the letter J, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, J Stewart at ConcordNH.gov. They get me there. So I'm still engaging patients. I'm happy to talk to families directly or the individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, we're available. I haven't, we haven't ceased our operations. Modifying it a little bit. I carry a couple extra masks in case I have to engage. <laughs> right, exactly. Put a mask on you, put a mask on me. Okay, let's talk. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, depending on where we are, I might make sure we're six feet apart. And, you know, I have a conference room available to me, and uh, you sit at one end, I'll sit at the other end, <laughs> you know, right. and we'll work it out. Improvise. Yeah. Yeah, we improvise. Make it safe as right. possible. Yeah. I have a vehicle. This is part of the project. So I go to them. I meet clients in their house. I meet them in their apartments. I meet them downtown somewhere mm-hmm. um, and meet the person where they're at or meet the family where they're at. We'll modify it. Just give me a call, okay. and I can help them work through the process. Treatment programs are still working. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a new project I'm working with with our doorway here in Concord. I'm not going to give too much information yet, but it's an opportunity to bring t- technology to the patient. Okay. Um, so that's some, we get some possibilities here, and there's some opportunities here. So I encourage them if they're suffering and they want more information or they have a loved one that's suffering with it, pick up the phone, give me a call, drop me an email. Let's chat one-on-one and see if we can work them through. I think a big kudos to the city this Concord Fire Department recognized back in 2017 and 18 we had a problem. Mm-hmm. And they didn't just acknowledge it. They took aggressive steps to address it. Mm-hmm. Pursued the grant. We secured the grant. We're still working the problem. COVID's given us a speed bump, mm-hmm. maybe a pretty big speed bump, but we're going to get over that speed bump. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue to work this for as long as we can with the grant and uh, help people get into treatment when they need it and when they're ready for it. Yeah, yeah, we want to give people some positives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask you about is maybe just um, what does the plan look like kind of when some of the restrictions ease? Yes. That's also kind of a positive because we're mm-hmm. seeing maybe some a, a glimmer of light at the end of the yeah. tunnel per se. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I'm constantly watching and we're going to be compliant with uh, you know, state policies and the city policies and the fire department policies. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I can, I'm kind of the, may I please, may I please, may I please, and being annoying a little bit and internally, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. As soon as we can, we'll get those classes going and I can limit the number. So I can do less than 10 and I can, we, we're fortunate. We have a training facility at our fire department. I can make it six feet apart. Mm-hmm. So we can do that and we will do that. We just need to wait a little longer until the governor and the town administrator and the fire chief and everyone get, and we all feel comfortable like, okay, we can, 
we can do this. As soon as we have permission, we'll do that, and I'll start doing those classes again. The other thing is I can go there. So I was doing engagements before, and that will continue as soon as, as, soon as your organization is meeting again or your nonprofit group or your volunteer group or your support group or whatever, I'm happy to go to you. Um, and that's a positive. The other big deal, in February, we got official permission again. We always had it in our grant, but it had to jump some extra hoops. I've expanded, we've expanded this to include the 22 surrounding towns. So what's okay. called the Capital Area Fire Mutual Aid Compact mm -hmm. consists of 23 towns, including Concord. So I've trained four towns already, mm -hmm. done training with them prior to the COVID, got them some naloxone kits. Obviously, we had to put a hold on that. Right. So when I say in the Concord area, if you fall within that capital area mutual aid fire compact, mm -hmm. you're covered under this grant. And so there's no That's charge. Cool. Yeah. So the families can call me. I can work with them. I, I have a vehicle. I can go out to them and meet them there. Mm -hmm. um, and when, they're, when their organizations, their church groups, their social groups, their whatever... I'm happy to come and talk for 10 minutes or an hour, whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And we do a little education, do a little distribution. They can pick my brain. We can have a good time. There's not a lot of brain to pick, but I'll have resources <laughs> with me, so we'll be okay. Okay. Well, and I was, I was also going to say, you know, in the meantime, we do have, um, like, the informational video yes. that you recorded. So there are ways for people to find out more information yep. if you can't be with them right. physically in a room right now just right. due to... And I'm still distributing naloxone, so I'll meet people okay. wherever. That's good to um, too. And it takes me, if I'm doing it one-on-one, -on -one, and it takes me five minutes, I can show them how to use naloxone. So that's easy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and like you said, we have the videos on, on, um, out there in our world, in our social media world, mm -hmm. and uh, we're still doing it. I'm still working the program. Just the numbers are going to be a little down right now because of the COVID. Mm -hmm. But we'll, we're still there. We're still available, and I think it's really important for the especially the citizens in Concord to understand that the, the fire department recognized a need and mm -hmm. went and pursued a solution for that opportunity mm -hmm. to fix that or meet that need. Mm -hmm. And here it is. So take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome information. Is there anything <laughs> else you want to, um, it's a lot, but I it think is a it's, lot. it's like you said, it's being realistic. There, there are still these problems, mm -hmm. you know, there might be repercussions, but we are seeing some improvement and so we kind of want to leave people on a, on a positive note that yeah. you're here you're a resource the fire department's here we're here yeah. to help i just want to clear we're not a safe station manchester and nashville right. run safe stations with us it's project first call yeah. 603-225-8666 drop me an email okay. um yeah. if you see a firefighter apparatus out there that you can ask them where's jeff they'll they <laughs> all have my cell phone they all can get me mm -hmm. that's <laughs> so. great yeah and, and i know uh you also have a page on the Concord website as yes. well under the fire department. Yep. We have so a project first page <laughs> and pictures and pictures. And yep. I think a link to the video. So if anyone wants to watch mm -hmm. the video from there versus going to YouTube. Yep. So. And we do have Facebook. So Concord fire department, if they want to follow us on Facebook, we post post stuff there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll put the podcast on that. It somehow we'll link it and we will. Yeah. And actually probably once you can start up classes again, we'll yes. share information there as well. Um, Absolutely. So people know that it's starting up. So. Yep. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for the updates. And before we close up, I just wanted to say that uh, we are putting updated information on our Concord website on our coronavirus page. So it's concordnh.gov backslash coronavirus. And we will be having some newer updates come through uh, as we're looking at 
the golf course reopening. Yeah, yeah. That's good news. We're going to have some guidelines to obviously operate that safely. And one other thing I wanted to point out is that the Concord Farmer's Market is set to start up again on the 9th of May. And there will be some restrictions in place. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit challenging. That's a very popular farmer's market. People love to flock there. We want them to do that. We just want them to do it safely. So there will be some uh, restrictions, I want to say, in place, just as far as kind of congregating safety at measures. a table. Safety yeah. measures. It'll be some safety measures. measures. In place. Yes. Um, Put a positive spin on that. Safety <laughs> measures in place, yeah, just so we don't have groups of people kind of congregating at tables and all that. But right. there will be vendors there. So uh, ConcordFarmersMarket.com is their website. And, again, just a lot of information on... Uh, the website, ConcordNH.gov. And we will just leave it that, you know, it's May. <laughs> it's the sun's the out. The last couple of months have been a little bit challenging, but hopefully when we come back for our next podcast, we'll have some more uh, positive information to share. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we will hopefully uh, be talking to you again soon. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you very much for being here, too, Jeff. We Thanks for having it. me.